Everybody got their Bible this morning? Yes, yes. Okay. The words are going to be up there like normal, but we always think when we do that, we're just enabling you not to bring your Bible. So bring your Bibles. It's way better that way. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be studying only a handful of scriptures. So if you bring your Bible and a pen and you write notes and take notes and underline, you're going to know these scriptures a whole lot better than you did before we started. So that's why it's, I think it's good to bring it. If you want, you can go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Over the next four weeks, the title for this series is going to be called Faith for Today. And we're going to study Hebrews 11, verse 8 through 19, specifically today. So we'll be studying uh, the fact that Abraham was the father of our faith. That's our focus for today, okay? Abraham, the father of our faith. So before we get started with Abraham, we got to do a little bit of talking about faith in general so that we are all at least starting from the same spot for the next four weeks, okay? Leon Morris, he's a theologian, he says this, it's not unfair to say that in Paul, talking about the letters that Paul wrote, faith refers primarily to the past, to what God has done in Christ, to the justification that begins our Christian life. And in Hebrews, faith looks to the future, It's the trust that launches out boldly into the unseen and the unknown, being fully assured that God will see his servant through. Both kinds of faith are demanded of us. So just as we have faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross to become a Christian, okay, then we should have faith that that same God is going to give us what we need to live the Christian life. Okay, so faith in the past, faith in the future. So for us... Over the next four weeks, this is going to be really easy. The definition we are going to use for faith is this. Faith is trusting God completely no matter what. I'll say it again because in a minute I'm going to ask you to say it with me. So I'll give you two chances to hear it. Everybody looked up. Oh, Faith is trusting God completely no matter what. All right, now let's say it together. Faith is trusting God completely no matter what. No matter what, that's the, that's the hard part sometimes, right? Now, here's what my dad says. And if you're wondering why I say my dad, it's because he was a pastor, okay? It's not like my dad just was the kind of dad that talked about this stuff all the time and he wasn't a pastor. He, he says the good news is that faith is a gift to us from God, okay? It's not that we have to work up, you know, all of this faith inside of us on our own effort. We don't have to do something extraordinary to have all this faith. Faith is given to us by God, um, no less than grace. Just as grace is a gift to us, faith is a gift. We know Ephesians 2.8, it says what? By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Faith, then, is a gift. You don't just say, oh, I wish I had more faith. You don't wish for faith, you ask for faith, and God gives us this faith. You know, if you've been reading through the New Testament with us, I hope you are, don't give up on that. 
A couple weeks ago, we were reading the, in the book of Mark, and do you remember the man that came to Jesus because he wanted his boy to be healed? And Jesus was kind of asking about his belief, and what did he say? He goes, I believe. And then the very next sentence, he says, but help me with my unbelief. <laughs> he, he recognized that maybe he didn't believe as much as what Jesus was kind of talking about. And he said, but help me, help me with my belief. And Jesus was like, yeah, that's the right answer. This guy gets it. If we don't have enough faith, we ask for help. And, and the Bible says God is happy to pour out all the kind of stuff out on us if we'll just ask. So faith is a gift, okay? So if you're feeling today that maybe you're not a real faithful person or your faith is struggling, it's okay. Don't, you're not just a weak faith person, okay? You just haven't asked for the faith yet, okay? So we're going to start asking God for faith. And he's going to begin to change us. If you are a Christian, okay, to all the Christians in the room, you had enough faith to be saved, okay? At some point or another, you had enough faith in you that you crossed over that line from death to life. And if God can give you that kind of faith to become a Christian, you need to believe that he can certainly give you enough faith to live this rest of your life that he's asking you to live, okay? Our study today is focused on Abraham. Obviously, Abraham is important in the Old Testament, right? He is the father of the Jewish people. But also, even here in the New Testament, he's presented as the father of all people who have faith, okay? We see earlier in this letter of Hebrews in chapter 2, verse 16, and also even in Romans chapter 4, verse 16, Paul calls Abraham the father of our faith. Paul says that Abraham is the father of all people who believe, not just the father of the Jews. You see, when Abraham trusted God and believed God's promises to him, God counted his faith as righteousness. He counted Abraham's faith to him as if it were righteousness. What is righteousness? I feel like we should talk about this for a second because this is a big church word that you really don't hear anywhere else. So what is this idea of righteousness? You remember the Garden of Eden? Righteousness. God planted the most incredible garden. He put man and woman in there, and it was righteous. Everything was perfect between man and woman and their God. Perfect. That's what righteousness, that's this righteousness idea. Well, what happened? What happened? Sin. You remember that story, right? Because I don't have time to go back to that story this morning. Apple, Eve, serpent, all that stuff broke righteousness right in the middle, and it was done, okay? Every single human being that's ever been born from that point forward was born into sin and, burn, and born unrighteous with God, okay? There was that brokenness there. But here it says, Abraham, when he had faith in God, his faith was counted to him as righteousness. His faith made him right with God again. It's the same thing today. When you have faith in what Jesus did for you, it is counted to you as righteousness, and you are now made right again with God. That's when the Bible talks about when God looks at you, he sees Jesus on the cross instead of your sin. This is all you know, really deep stuff, but that's what he's talking about. He's saying, when I look at you because of your faith in me and what Jesus did, I have seen that everything is right again. That's an awesome spot to be. Amen? So that's the faith that we have makes us righteous. So today, now that we've talked about faith a little bit, let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to start at verse 8. By faith, 
Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward or waiting expectantly and confidently to the city that has foundations, firm and fixed foundations, whose architect or designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead because of his age, were born descendants as many of the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of the sand by the seashore. These all, that's Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob, they died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. There's some good stuff in there, right? Isn't it good just to read a long passage of Scripture without stopping for a minute? Paul calls Abraham the father of our faith, the father of all who believe. Hebrews 11 tells us uh, before this verse, in verse 8, of some other men that were very faithful, right? Have you read through those verses? Some other men, some of those heroes of our faith. But Abraham was a special case because Abraham was the one to whom God gave the promise that he would make him into a great nation and bless the whole world through his descendants. Through Abraham came the Jewish people, God's covenant people. Through Abraham came King David, whom God promised would have a descendant that would rule forever as king. Through Abraham came Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who was the fulfillment of all the promises that were made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David. Okay? That's why Abraham is called the father of our faith. But here's the great news for you and me. Like all the heroes of our faith that are in this chapter, Abraham was just an ordinary man. God didn't look down and, and try to search around everywhere for the guy who had it in him to be the father of all faith. <laughs> he, he, didn't, he didn't look around the earth and go, who is it that just you know, really stands out to me that he could handle the pressure of being the father of of faith. Okay, that's not what happened. In fact, God or Abraham being the father of our faith has little to do with Abraham and everything to do with God. See, God was the one who chose Abraham. God was the one who called Abraham. God was the one who made promises to Abraham. God was the one who worked with Abraham while he kept doubting back and forth. God was the one who fulfilled his promises to Abraham, even though Abraham did not see the fulfillment of all the promises while he was alive. God, God, God. It was all about him. So as we start this series, Faith for Today, I want us to talk about five aspects of faith, five things that should describe our faith as Christians, okay? And the first one is this, faith is responsive. 
Faith is responsive. Let's look back at verse 8, the very first verse we read, chapter 11, verse faith. I mean, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. I want you to do me a favor, get your pen and underline the words in your Bible, obeyed and went. Obeyed and went. Right off the bat, we begin being convicted about our own faith, aren't we? Abraham heard God's call, he obeyed, and he went. When God calls us to do something, we do it. When God says go, we go. If God says stay, we stay. If God says trust him, we trust him. That's what faith is. My buddy Willie and his family, they live in India forever if they have to because God said go, so they went. And he hadn't said leave yet. My friend Clint, Misty, they live in Poland, maybe forever. God said go, you go. Bob and Valerie, he says go. You go to the Middle East, we go. Our Haiti team, God says go. We get on a plane and we go. It may be for a week, it may be for a couple of months, it may be for your lifetime, but when God says go, you better go. That's what being a faithful person means. You know, one time when I was only 24, Four, 25 years old, lived in Texas my whole life, same with my wife, Brooke. Family is there, friends are there, everything I know is there. And God called us to go to Leesburg, Florida. And let me tell you, I know a lot of y'all lived here your whole life, but this is not like Dallas. <laughs> it's about as different from Dallas, Texas as you can be, Okay? Especially back then. Now, the villages is bringing some modern conveniences into this area, I know. But, so sometimes we talk about this idea of God calling us to do something, and we, we struggle with that because sometimes we don't know what that looks like, right? We say, well, man, that's really neat that God called you to do that, but I've never heard God say, hey, you need to go do this today. And we struggle with that because... Well, maybe I don't really know what it means to hear God's voice. Or maybe God hadn't called me to do anything yet. Or maybe he is trying to talk to you and you just don't know how to listen to him yet. So all I know to do is tell you a little bit about how that happens in my life, okay? So about that time, Brooke and I had been married. And my job was to travel around and lead worship for youth events, camps, disciple nows, things like that. Well, we had a little ministry. It was great because it was me, my brother. You know my brother, Jonathan. It was Willie in India. It was Clint in Poland. Isn't that amazing? Four of us traveling around the southeast every Thursday. We'd rent this van, and, and we'd hit the road. Man, it was great. <laughs> you know, we had a debit card, and we could go to Taco Bell or places, and if we had enough money left over from the weekend, whatever they paid us, we'd go to, like, Chili's. <laughs> And it felt so cool because it wasn't anyone's debit card. It said Face Down Ministries. So even though it was actually our money, it didn't feel like it was coming out of our checks. It was was a great life. And then all of a sudden, Willie and Johnny, they hear a call from God to go to Mexico. And so they go because that's what we do. When God calls, we go. Well, 
I was the only one married at the time, and I'm thinking, okay, now I'm going to be the guy who's married without a job because half the ministry is leaving to go to Mexico. My wife works as a school teacher, and I'm just going to sit at home, you know, twiddling my thumbs all day, letting her provide. Well, that's not going to happen. So, God, if you're moving Willie and Johnny to Mexico, what are you doing? So this is the fall of 2002, and this guy, Sidney Brock, (laughs) asked me to come lead worship at a youth event like I did every weekend in Leesburg, Florida. To me, it was no different than any other weekend, okay? You got to realize this is just what we did. So I get on a plane and fly to Leesburg, Florida, some teenager picks me up. We get lost trying to get from the airport back to Leesburg. <laughs> I don't know why Sydney couldn't have just picked me up. <laughs> Anyways, we, I get there. We, it's, a, it's a normal weekend to me. I'm sure it was a great youth weekend because he did great things. But to me, it was no, no, no different. Except for the day before I left to go back to the airport, I spent time in their home. And I remember this. I don't even know if y'all remember that, but I just remember sitting in the living room and just feeling this connection to Sydney and Meredith. I loved them. I loved their hearts for the teenagers. You know, it was my job to, to minister to teenagers. That's what I did. And I just loved the, the way they did it. Because I saw student ministers every weekend, and I saw a ton of them through the summer, but there was something about them, and it drew me to them. And so. As I went back home, still doing the normal thing, the buddy of mine was working at a church in Alabama, and they needed a worship pastor. And so I happened to be going to their church in November to lead worship at a youth event. And so while I was there, I sat down with their pastor. You know, we talked. I liked my friend. He was the youth minister. I thought it'd be cool to work with him. Mobile, Alabama, not Dallas, but not bad. And so start praying about what is God doing and so it was like more than a month, and God, I, you know, I've been praying, God, <laughs> in January, we're going to not have any more events to do. I'm not going to have any money. It would be nice if you would tell me before, you know, what you want me and Brooke to do. And I remember we were going to be leading worship at a college worship service in the middle of December, kind of like the last service they have before everybody leaves for Christmas break. And so I said, God... I was on my way to loading everything in, and I said, you know, for the next two hours, I'm going to be nothing, doing nothing but worshiping you and listening to a sermon and praying. This would be a really great two hours for you to tell me what I'm supposed to be doing because I'm, I'm going to be focused on you. So we went in, led worship. I listened. I was, I was so attentive. I probably listened to that sermon better than any sermon I'd ever heard. I was, I was trying to be focused. You know, it's like trying to channel something. God, talk to me. And, man, we got done, and, and he didn't say anything. <laughs> and so we got to load the trailer because at this time we were leading worship in one place Sunday morning, a different place Sunday night, and a different place Wednesday night. So we were always just constantly moving stuff. So I'm loading everything in. I'm kind of mad because I kind of was really expecting God to do, tell me something. Well, at this time I did have a cell phone, but it wasn't the kind of phone that we carried around in our pockets because all it did was answer phone calls. And so I had left it in my car, and you know what? I got to the front seat of my car, and I saw this little outside of my phone. It said, one message. <laughs> and, and I'm telling y'all, it was like as loud and clear as I'm speaking to you right now. God goes, that was your answer. 
And before I even picked up the phone, I knew. I, I may have even said that there's, there's a message from either Sidney Brock or uh, this guy in Mobile, Alabama. And I'm telling you right now, that's who it is. And I, I picked it up, listened to your voicemail. I think you had a hit, like, you had to call yourself just to call your message. And so two minutes later, this guy goes, Brian, to Sid Brock. And I didn't even listen to the rest of his message. I just told Brooke, I said, well, we're going to move to Florida. And, and that's how he did that with me. But as soon as I knew, as soon as I had this feeling, there was no other answer for me except for yes. Had to be. And did you know that in the month, two months leading up to this, that Brooke, without telling me, was kind of mad about the idea of us moving and leaving Texas? And did you know in that same amount of time before that night's phone call came that he did a work in her heart and she was already ready to go when I told her? When God calls us, we go. That's what we do. John Calvin, one of those theologian guys, and he was talking about Abraham's obedience to God's call. He says, the patriarch, Abraham, did nothing that was not by the command of God. This is surely one of the principles of faith that we do not move a step unless the word of God shows us the way and shines before us like a lantern. So when he says go, you go, but when he doesn't say go, you don't just come up with some brilliant plan in your mind and go, okay? In fact, some, pe some journeys that people take have nothing to do with God's will, right? Even Abraham himself, after getting to Canaan, Sometimes he would look around and go, man, I know God called me to be here, but I'm looking at my situation and my circumstances. I think I'd be better off over here. Remember the time where he took his wife to Egypt? Well, that didn't turn out so good. Remember he told her, he said, tell everybody we're brother and sister instead of husband and wife because if they find out we're husband and wife and they see how good looking you are, they'll kill me and take you for their wife. And what happened? Pharaoh took her for a wife anyways. She had to live in Pharaoh's house as one of, her wi as one of his wives. I mean... God redeemed the journey, right? But it's, it's no question in my mind that leaving the place where God had taken them was a mistake. It was a sin. It was a lack of trust in God. So when God says go, you go. If he doesn't, then you stay. No matter what he tells us to do or not do, we have to be obedient. Faith is always responsive. Always responsive. Second one is this. Faith is courageous. It's important to remember that Abraham was not promised the land he was going to until after he got there. Did you remember that? The promise of land was not what motivated Abraham to move. I mean, if you tell me, hey, Brian, I want you to move, and when you get there, I'm going to give you this beautiful 10 acres, and it's going to be yours debt-free, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to go. But that's not the promise. The promise was, I'm going to make you great, and, and all the nations are going to be blessed. But that was kind of vague, because at the time, Abraham was old and didn't even have a son, right? So his motivation was not about owning all this promised land. He didn't know about that. Look back at Genesis chapter 12. If you're a fast Bible drill, if you're not, do it anyways. It's the first book of the Bible. Genesis 12. And keep your finger or your little, you know, little marker in Hebrews because we'll go right back. So let's just remember this part of the story, okay? So this is about when God called Abraham, Genesis, or Abram, Genesis 12. This is even before the name change. 
Genesis 12, verse 1, says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, took everybody with him, you know, Sarah and, uh, and Lot, his brother's son, and all the stuff that they had and the people they had, okay? And then look at verse 7. Oh, no, I'm sorry. He gets to Canaan. Yeah, and then verse 7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. The land was promised to Abraham not before he was obedient, but because he was obedient. Did you hear that? The land was not promised to Abraham before he was obedient, but because he was obedient. Would Abraham have ever received that land if he had said no in the first place? Do you ever wonder what blessings we're missing out on because we were not obedient? Wow, we might have thought God was asking too much of us, but we didn't realize how much he was willing to give us when we said yes. Wow. Abraham was in his mid-70s when this happened. Mid-70s. I know they lived a long time back then, but think about it. 70s is 70s. He was in his mid-70s when God said, leave your father's home. Everything he knew. Everything he knew. His comfort, his security, family, friends. For an unknown place. That kind of courage is expected of all Christians. Because it took courage. I guarantee you took courage. We already know that there were other times where he doubted and wasn't sure, right? So we know that this first time, there was probably some, some anxiety. But faith is always courageous. That's what the Bible says when, when it says, we walk by faith, not by sight. Abraham walked by faith, not by sight, not knowing where he was going. Number three, faith is dependent Go back to Hebrews. I told you we'd be right back. Chapter 11, verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him, God, faithful, that reliable, trustworthy, true to his word, who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead because of how old he was, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Abraham's dependence on God, his dependence on God was linked to his wife, Sarah, who, remember, after a time of doubting, remember that? She doubted at first, believed that God was trustworthy and was able to do even miracles. Even after both of them were too old, because of their dependence on God and their faith in him, they had a child, child of their own. Remember, they even tried to take things into their own hands because they were doubting, okay? But now, because of their faith, God blessed them with their own child. It was impossible as far as humans were concerned, but not for God. Faith is dependent, always, with no limit. No limit. This is the hard part for us. If you depend upon God up to a certain point, that's not true faith. Okay? 
If you believe that God can do A, B, and C, but not D, not true faith. If you believe that God can save him, her, and her, but not him, not true faith. Any of those limits that we put on ourselves, or we put on God, I mean, because uh, put on our own faith, but we're putting limits on God, that's not true faith. Faith is dependent on him always with no limit. If you wake up and you have zero money, you don't go, well, if I had $10, then God would take care of me. God, I mean, when, when you think about the amount of money that any of us are going to have, God has so much more than that, okay? So I don't care if you're someone who makes a million a year or 10000 a year. God takes care of his people if we have dependent faith on him, okay? The amount of money that we talk about in here and, and in the world and the United States and all that stuff, and I know we worry and we're anxious and we watch, you know, stock market and stuff like that. God looks at that and he's like, what are y'all talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? A billion dollars is nothing to God, okay? We either depend on him or we don't. There's no limit. That's true faith. Faith is always dependent. The next one is this. Faith is persistent. This is a neat little passage here, verses 13 through 16. These all died sustained in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, if they were just homesick, okay, then they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire, they yearn for a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This idea of aliens and strangers and exiles, you read about that quite a bit in the New Testament. The idea here is that you would, you would begin to, uh, to, to emphasize the degrading of earthly desires, the, the, the not making so important the earthly material possessions, okay? And instead, long for a heavenly home. This is tough because when we start thinking about what everyone around us has, we kind of like to kind of at least be level with standards with those around us. It's hard for me to say, well, I'm just going to live this way and real small because I'm paying attention to my heavenly home. But that's what this is talking about. Their hearts were set on heaven, not retirement not their old hometown that they had left. Heaven was God's home, and they were God's children, so heaven must be their home too. That's how they thought. That's how they lived. That's what they were thinking about. In verse 16, it says that they desire a better country. What does that mean? How did they know? How did they know what they wanted? Why, why did they want a better country? God had told them to get up and move and go over here, but it's saying that they wanted something better. And it wasn't that they were unhappy with where God had brought them. It's just that didn't feel that yearning or the longing in their hearts for heaven. It wasn't their home. They were living as strangers and exiles. The idea here is that a man or woman of true faith can tell the difference between good and evil, between eternal and temporal, or between permanent and perishable. If you're a man or a woman of faith, you can tell the difference. 
and you begin to look toward those things that are permanent, eternal, and good. Faith is persistent. We must embrace God's promises even though they may not be fulfilled in the future. I mean, even though they may not be fulfilled now, but in the future. Maybe even after we're gone, like some of these experienced. We must live our life in this challenging time and in this challenging place in light of a future with God in a heavenly home. That's our hope. The hope in becoming a Christian isn't that everything's going to be just perfect here on earth. That's not what's promised. The promise is the hope of a heavenly home. This scripture in Hebrews is telling us that God is not ashamed to identify himself with people who live like this. Did you remember that in that verse up there? What verse was that? Verse 16. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Do you want God to identify himself with you? Well, yeah. Yeah. That's like, you know, in fourth grade, the best kid in the school at dodgeball, if he picks you, okay, this is God, okay? He's bigger than that fourth grader, and he will identify himself with you when your faith is persistent. Faith is always persistent. The last one is this. Faith is sacrificial. Abraham sacrificed a lot, didn't he, when he left his home without knowing where he was going? But this wasn't the last time that God would ask Abraham's faith to be sacrificial, was it? Look at verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only, that's unique, son. Because we know he had another son, Ishmael. Okay, so this word only is unique, different. This was Isaac, the one that the promise was going to go through. Of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, which figuratively speaking, meaning he had already been potentially sacrificed, he did actually receive him back from the dead. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his only unique son because of his faith in God. He even believed that if I do this, God will just raise him back from the dead because he promised me that through Isaac, all the nations of the world were going to be blessed. This was the promised son. Raymond Brown says this, Abraham recognized that in responding to God's demands, if I say okay and go, then he must place his entire reliance on the God who not only called him, but would guide his steps, meet his needs, and prepare for his future. When God tells you to go, you go. And he doesn't always tell you every little step of the way what it's going to look like. If you don't believe me, just go look at the history of Heritage Community Church. He says, do this, and we go, okay. Okay. Keep, keep going? Are you sure? Because it looks like we're about to fall off the ledge here. And then the next thing you know, he's filled in the cracks if you, if you keep walking. He doesn't tell you all those things. So if you're going to say, I have faith in God and he's calling me to go, I'm going to go, you have to have the faith that he will guide your steps, that he will meet your needs. You can't get to a point where it seems like your, your need might not be met next week and then just, you know, throw out the plan and go make your own plan. Trust me, that will be a disaster. 
If you're holding on to this rope that God's holding on to, and all of a sudden you think there's, there's something wrong with this plan, and you reach for another rope, it will fail you every single time. He will meet your needs, and he will prepare your future. This sacrificial faith is God's call to all believers. See, sometimes we think, well, I'm a Christian. I had enough faith to say yes to God. The sacrificial faith, that's for the people like the missionaries and the pastors, the people who want to get serious about all of this. Huh. Wrong. This is God's call to all believers. We don't know how everything will turn out each step of the way, but God promises to equip us with all good things. Look ahead just a little bit to Hebrews 13, verse 20 and 21. This is the end of this, of this book, and it says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing that you may do his will. Everything good, everything, so that what? So that you can accomplish his will. He didn't say he would give you all good things because he was so proud of you for saying yes and he just wants to bless you with fancy stuff. He said he's gonna give you everything good you need to keep doing the things he's called you to do that you are obeying and going. Working in us that which is pleasing in his sight not which is pleasing in my own human eyes, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. So how did it end for Abraham and Isaac at that point when Abraham was ready to sacrifice his son Isaac? What was the good thing that God provided? If he says he's going to equip us with every good thing, what was it? What was that good thing that God provided when Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son? Genesis 22. Get ready, this is the best part of the whole sermon. Verse 9, 22 verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, don't lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only unique son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes, and behold, behind him was a good thing that God provided, a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Amen. The key word there in verse 13 is instead. Underline it. Circle it. Highlight it with yellow. Instead. He took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead. This word instead is in place of. Substitute, atonement, instead. The good thing that God provided was a substitute for Isaac. One thing we know about a sacrifice, 
something has to be sacrificed, right? There was going to be a sacrifice that day. Had to be. There was going to be a sacrifice. That was the plan. Some had to die. And God provided it instead of Isaac. And isn't it fitting that the most important object of our faith is the instead, the in place of, the substitute that God provided us on the cross when he sacrificially let his only unique son die in our place. Amen? Amen. Faith is always sacrificial. As we finish up today, we're, we, we, got, we did this last week and Sid said, we're going to start doing this more often. And I agree, this is good. So the overseers are going to come down. These guys are the men at our church at Heritage who who God has selected to be those spiritual overseers, those spiritual guiders for the people at Heritage Community Church. Are you with me? These are the people that you can come to at any time and say, here's where I'm struggling. So guys, if you guys wanna come on down, at the end of our service, they're gonna be available to you. And let me tell you why. This is the life God has called you to live. Not just me, not just the Haiti missionary team, not just Willie in India. You as Christians. Our faith is to be responsive, courageous, dependent, persistent, and sacrificial. Every one of us, every one of those five aspects. But if your faith has not yet helped you cross the line from death to life, believing in the death and resurrection of Jesus to save you, then you are in trouble. And I'm sorry to say that boldly, but here's the thing. Faith in nothing else will be counted to you as righteousness. Faith in coming to church on Sunday, faith in being a good person, faith in being better than that person that you compare yourself to to make yourself feel good about your spirituality, None of that will be counted to you as righteousness. None of it. The only thing that will be counted to you as righteousness is your faith in Jesus Christ. The instead, the in place of, the substitute that was given for you on the cross at Calvary. And if you've not made that decision, today is that day. When we finish and I get done praying here and we, we play the music and people start to leave, man, I would not, I would not Walk out that door today if you've not yet made that decision. Ask God for help in your unbelief. He will help you with your faith. He will give you enough faith to say yes to him and start this journey of faith that he has for you. This faith that has the hope of a good, eternal, and permanent heavenly home. That's hope. And if you don't have that today, the only thing lacking is a small bit of faith to say yes to him. Come and speak with one of these guys, ask questions, ask for help, and make the most important decision that you've ever made in your life. And if you've already done that, then make the decision to just go when he says go. Stay when he says stay. Trust him when he says trust him. Wait and see the great things he has in store for you once you begin to be obedient in your faith. Let's pray. Father, Thank you so much for your word. 
Thank you for great examples like Abraham, who had enough faith to go when you said go. Thank you that you give us everything good in order to help us accomplish your will that you've called us to do. That, that all we have to do is have the faith to say yes. We don't even have to get it all figured out together on our own effort so that we can feel like we can be accomplishing what you want us to do. We can just say yes and that along the journey you will help us accomplish these things. Thank you for this church family. Thank you that we can be authentic and talk with one another and I pray that we are spurring one another on towards love and good work so that our faith would not be dead faith, but our faith would be the kind of faith that you are not ashamed to identify yourself with. I pray that when people speak of this church family, that it would be one where people say, that church family is identified with the God of the Bible, the God of miracles, the God who would offer up his only unique son in place of their own sin on the cross. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for all that you have done. Thank you for your blessings. Help us to live for you. Give us courage today. In your name we pray, amen.